So, are you DTFF? Drinking and talking fantasy football with your hosts, Dustin Lunt and Jake Trowbridge. Welcome back to the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, hope everyone's doing well this this fine, fine Tuesday. Um, I know I am. I mean, I'm off of work all week, taking the work week off, so I'm doing terrific. Co-host with the most, Jake Trowbridge. How are you doing this evening, sir? I do have the most. You're absolutely right. I don't know what the most of specifically, but I don't think it matters. Uh, as long as I have the most of something, I've been told that's how you win stuff. So I consider <laughs> myself a winner. Uh, man, I'm doing good. I mean, I don't have the time off from work work that you do. So I've been over here earning the, the big dollars this morning already. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Well, excellent. Well, yeah, we've got a great show this evening. We are going to talk rookies from last season. So where are they now? I, I call this the 2020 Rookie Edition. Wow. And so basically, we're just <laughs> looking back at... No, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't just try and gloss over that. Like, that didn't just happen. <laughs> it was a, it was a pause for dramatic effect, and it had to add a little to it. Eye popping. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I saw it up on a billboard, 2020 edition, and it was pop. It just pops. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're talking all things rookies from last season. Uh a little bit where they were drafted, how they finished, and then what we see moving forward for them. Um we we know a little bit from free agency so far this offseason, and draft is upcoming here in a month, so things can definitely change and are definitely fluid yet but um kind of looking forward for our rookies and and how we see them performing moving forward for us for not only redraft but for dynasty purposes so that's what we got going on tonight should be a lot of fun but before we get into all that we've got a couple things to take care of as always first thing is our beer review we have got this week a beer picked out by jake called viva la viva yeah it, title of it, your sex look, anytime, um, <laughs> oh, God damn it. anytime that there's a beer with the name beaver in it somewhere you know i'm gonna buy that off the shelves so obviously i did yep so for our youtube folks here we showing you the beer can this is a mexican chocolate peanut butter stout how good does that sound? It sounds delicious. I'm trying to see what alcohol percentage this is. Seven and a half percent. That's respectable. Very respectable. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah, course, absolutely. of course, it's nice and dark. Yep. Obviously. Obviously. It's nice and dark. Now, like, I smell the shit out of some chocolate in here. Mm-hmm. I don't smell any. Wait. Nope. Right. I got peanut butter. I'll Did say you get peanut butter? I get peanut butter as well. Let's do, let's, it it let's, smells gonna, good. <laughs> you know, half the taste is the smell. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Never, you can taste the peanut our, butter. You can taste the chocolate. Very roasty. Yeah, roasty is a good word for this guy. It's all up in your. It's all up in your mouth feel. It's smooth too. It very, it's like it very smooth, smooth on the lips. I wonder if there's some lactose in this to give it that smoothness. Is that what does it? That's the thing, the lactose. 
I feel like it does. All right. I just want to read the description here. Viva La Beaver is loaded with notes of creamy peanut butter. Check. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon. Check. I didn't, I didn't get notes. I, I, get, I get a little cinnamon there. I got a garbage palette. And coffee. I also don't get the coffee, but I get chocolate. So I, I'm all fucking confused. This decadent milk stout. Ah, it is a milk stout. There you go. Boom. Good palette, Dustin. It's the perfect dessert beer to finish off your meal and is our highest rated beer. Ours meaning the Belching Beaver mm-hmm. Brewery, which is a real name. That's mm-hmm. a thing. It's from out in California somewhere. Yep, Oceanside. Uh, oh, there you go. Oceanside, California. So it's their highest rated beer. Mm-hmm. It's received numerous gold and silver medals. So there you go. I can see why. It's delicious. Yeah, this one kind of... I'm, I'm just going to say I knocked it out of the park on this go around. You did well, Jake. You Thank did you. well. All I wanted to do. I'll give you I'll give you the golf clap for that. That was very well done. Very well picked. What would you give it star wise here, ranking wise? Um I would give it a solid four. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never gonna get you to go above a four. I don't know it's if you've hard. ever ranked a beer higher than four. I have, but it, it takes a lot. Like it's really gotta be an exceptional beer to be above four for me. You're you're a stickler. You're like one of those people you're not going to rate a movie either, like five stars for a movie. It's going to have to like knock you on your ass. I, I, I am notoriously a very hard uh, a grader when it, when it comes to giving grades or rating things. Even at work, I do um, hiring for my job, and I notoriously am always ranked lower than other uh, managers that are either interviewing employees or looking over bids or things like that, where you have to rate stuff. I'm notoriously always lower. I I'm a very difficult, uh, rater. So you're the Simon Cowell of your group at all times. Is that fair? Well, Is that fair to say? I'm not an ass. Well, you don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> this is <a> fair point. <laughs> Maybe uh, those coworkers would just, uh, that, that is fair. What would you give this as, as a rating, Jake? I'm going above yours now just to prove a point. I'm going to give this a 4.5. 4.5. So we averaged out to a 4.25. And we'll get this on our untapped here for all of our folks out there. So you can go God, check that out. Good. Just going to keep patting myself on the mm-hmm. back all episode long. Let's but we keep... should probably move it's... here because we've got a lot to cover. We do. Yeah, yeah. I guess. All right. Let's I mean, do it's it. all the rookies. We have to talk about all, all the rookies. All the rookies. Lots to dive into. There is. Uh, so, without further ado, I think we need to jump into our drunk trade of the week. So, this week's drunk trade comes from at Boots Fantasy. That's Boots with a Z, by the way. Of course. The preface here, no idea how to think about it, they say. A little more preface for this, OBJ, that is Odell Beckham if you're nasty, would tear his ACL the same weekend this trade went down. Will Fuller would get suspended a few weeks later. Joe Burrow would tear his ACL a month later. This is all pretext without knowing the actual trade itself, so let's dive in. Boots. Boots received Jarvis Landry and Tyreek Hill and sent away Will Fuller, Sterling Shepard, and T. Higgins. This is Dynasty. This is point, uh, excuse me, this is PPR Dynasty. 
It's all wide receivers. Okay. This is a five wide receiver trade. Landry and Hill for Fuller, Sterling Shepard, and T. Higgins. What do you think? So this context, so OBJ tears his ACL. That's a big boost then to Jarvis Landry immediately, who this person received. Uh, now Will Fuller would get suspended, who they sent away. So that's great. Uh, Joe Burrow would tear his ACL a month later. That is in reference to T. Higgins, who still, you know, Joe Burrow tearing right. his ACL was not the end of the world for him, but it was definitely a, a hit. So what do you think about this drunk trade? Uh, I would say Boots Fantasy definitely won this one, in my opinion. And it's not even close. Uh, Landry, he's always just a PPR machine, giving you consistent numbers week in and week out. And who is the other player there? Refresh my memory. Tyreek Hill. Oh, Tyreek Hill. Obviously, the big the big name on there. He's top three every year for now until he leaves the league, essentially. Uh, as long as he's paired up with Patrick Mahomes there, I think there's nothing to worry about. Uh, Sterling Shepard on the other side doesn't really do much for me. He's oft injured, and now with Galladay there especially, uh, it'll take some of that off of him. And then I keep blanking, not T. Higgins, the other guy, Will Fuller. Will uh, Fuller, Because yep. I've never been a big Will Fuller fan, so I personally wouldn't have gone for that with him because I just don't want him on any of my rosters. Uh, T Higgins is obviously very enticing. I am a big Higgins believer and I loved what I saw out of him last year. So, I mean, you're getting one really, really solid young piece out of it, but to give up Tyree kill who is still young. I mean, he's in his prime and then Landry is still in his prime. Uh, you get two guys that are, they're not bust proof, but you don't see a lot of busts out of either of those players. So uh, for a bunch of, you know, ceiling type players, I guess, with Fuller and I don't, I don't guess you can't say Higgins is really a ceiling player, but we haven't seen him reach his full potential yet, I would say. Um, but I am very excited about him this yes. year, especially. T. Higgins is going, I mean, everything is pointing in the right direction for him. Oh, of course, yeah, love AJ him. Green is now gone there. Mm-hmm. Burrow should be back and healthy, knock on wood, by week one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and should be consistent there. And I mean, Tyler Boyd's going to get his, but otherwise it's T. Higgins currently. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens in the draft, obviously, for all of these players, really. But I, yeah, I love exactly what you said. It's consistency to me on the side of boots. So well done, boots. Tyreek Hill, yeah, you're getting a top five at worst. Mm-hmm. I don't care how low you are in Hill. You're probably not lower than a five for Dynasty. I, I, just dig it. Jarvis Landry continues to be slept on, though, too. Mm-hmm. I do think we have to call him out. He's locked in for wide receiver two production every single year. Yep. But nobody really thinks about it. That's right. I agree. So good job, Boots. I think we're both in agreement here that you definitely won that side of the trade. Uh, yeah, they they may not know how to think about it, but yeah. we certainly seem to know how to think about it. Absolutely. This Absolutely. And well done, sir. Uh, I see in the notes here that this was... Made while enjoying a shower beer. So way to have a shower beer and make trades when you're in the shower. That is fine, fine work on your end. Gotta must have that waterproof phone. Must. Huh? I need Maybe to get put myself it in a one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so you can make shower beer bets? Yeah. Not a bad idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before we get into our ad read here and moving on to the, the bulk of our episode here just a little tease we're gonna have a special announcement here at the end of the episode uh we're very excited about this so 
stay tuned in. Or if you're just being an audio listener right now and you don't want to listen to the rest of the show, which why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want to hear what we have to say about the rookies? You can always fast forward to the end of the episode uh, and then come back if you're really curious. Ooh. I know we don't want that, but um, don't skip ahead. <laughs> don't Savor skip it. ahead. That's we'll right. Let the anticipation wash over you. It'll be worth it. That's right. Well, Jake, do you want to say a little word from our sponsor here? You know I do. This week's episode of Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football is brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. Football is over, but it's almost already coming back, really, when you think about it. But regardless, there is plenty of sports action to be had over at monkeyknifefight.com. Go over there, take those props, win some money, and hey, why not just get some free money to start if you use promo code DTFF? You will be matched on your initial deposit up to $50. So once again, go to monkeyknifefight.com. Use the promo code DTFF. Win money, get money. Just be happy. That's right. Thank you for that, Jake. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving into the 2020 rookies, how would you like to start this, Jake? Should I just name off maybe the top 12 drafted in their draft order? Yeah, I think what would be nice to do here, because obviously this is looking backward, but also mm-hmm. we want to do a good amount of looking forward here. I think if we just went through and go down this list of ADP, because we want to know how highly these rookies were regarded and then what the end result was. And I think we just go down this list a little bit and talk about the ones that intrigue us as we go here. And any names that don't, we can just kind of skip over All <laughs> right. Very briefly talk. All right. Sounds good. So first one on the list is, I think, obvious to everyone is Clyde Edwards Elair, number one pick off the board. Uh, this is just PPR. This is not super flex drafts, obviously, because um, that's not our forte. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Hey, why hide it? Right? That's right. So this is just regular PPR, uh, your, your typical PPR dynasty leagues. So CEH was going off the board as the number one overall player and running back. Uh, he finished in points per game as the RB23. I think at we all know at this point he was severely overdrafted in startup drafts. Uh, I think he was going as like the number five-ish overall running back off the board, that mid-first round. Uh, I think we all love the landing spot for him, but, you know, there's there's only so many, only you can only feed so many mouths in that offense, and we know Kelsey gets his, Tyree Kill gets his. At best, he's the third option on that team, and um, I think he got pushed up the board too much. The hype was too much. I think you might be able to get a little bit of a discount on him at this point if you wanted to try trade for him this offseason if someone doesn't see him performing. But uh, I, I think he'll he'll do better than RB23 as far as points per game uh, this next season now that he's uh, a year into the league. And and maybe maybe this offense is a little bit more complicated than we know, and he had just a little trouble picking it up. Um, so I think he'll be involved and don't really have any worries about him uh, moving forward. What about you, Jake? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I'm worried about him at all. And I do agree that it seems like there's a discount to be had for him. I think that's true for any rookie running back that comes in and doesn't immediately wow people. Mm-hmm. Um, with a couple of exceptions who we will talk about here just a little further down the list. But 
you know, the landing spot was so over hyped. Mm -hmm. It was, well, it's a Chiefs running back. That is, if you recall, that's what got him to be that number one overall spot so easily. People were just salivating. It's Andy Reid's offense. It's the Chiefs. He's with Pat Mahomes. We have to take this guy no matter what. I don't think anybody was arguing that CEH was the most talented running back Mm -hmm. of the class. I think that there was probably three or four other names that were at least in contention, if not above him. Yeah, it's just maybe this is a good reminder not to overemphasize landing spot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important, but maybe it's not the be all end all mm-hmm. that we think think it was for running backs. But yeah, I mean, I am very much on him finishing higher than RB twenty three in points per game next year. So if you can get him for a late first, maybe even early second in your dynasty leagues, I'm 100% trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he, he, he'll, he'll be a, a solid RB two uh, moving forward, maybe potential to bump up into that RB one range, depending on the type of year. But I, I think you're getting a pretty safe floor with him uh, moving forward. So number two off the board, another running back was Jonathan Taylor, our boy from Wisconsin. Yep, yep. You missed your buying window on him. If you didn't pick him up mid-season when when you had the opportunity, uh, when he wasn't doing anything, because boy howdy did it! Everything clicked for him that second half of the season or the last you know six or so games. You could see he wasn't. Tr- it didn't seem like he was trying so hard to like find those holes. It was just he was following his instincts more. Uh, so it took him a little bit to kind of get going and finished as the RB ten in points per game. Uh, and it's you probably have to pay two first for him now, at least. I, I think the buying window for him is passed. Not that um, paying two first for him is a bad deal, but it is a steep price for a running back. So what do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think you still have to be looking to trade for Jonathan Taylor now. There's a lot of times like people wait so long with, with running backs, I think, to trade for the studs. Like, they want to make sure, oh, was it a mm-hmm. fluke last year, whatever. And if you wait too long, you're lose. It's depreciating so much because running backs don't have a huge shelf life. So if you can get a stud, and I think we both agree, he's a stud. I'm rocking my, mm-hmm. Bucky, my Bucky Badger shirt just as a, a little extra homerism there. But, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is still a big acquisition. If somebody is for some reason doubting him even a little bit now because Marlon Mack, is back in the fold there, uh, which I think everybody expected Marlon Mack to be moving on. Mm -hmm. And of course, Naeem Hines is still there, who was his main competition for touches last year, especially, I I thought it was going to be just passing work that Hines was taking, but really he took like a weird amount of goal line work too. He did. Um, I think the offense as a whole improves, by the way, because we're we're out of the Phillip Rivers era, Mm -hmm. which was good for dump offs for running backs, you do have to admit. But we get, I think, an overall upgrade with Carson Wentz. Absolutely. I don't know. I, people like to rag on the guy, and I get it. He's, he's not perfect by any means, but I think he makes the offense run better. By default, that means more opportunities for the running backs. Mm-hmm. So even if he loses a small percentage of share to Marlon Mack, he, there's no way I can rank him outside my top five for running backs mm-hmm. this year. And to be honest, we don't know if Marlon Mack is going to come back 100% healthy. Maybe this was the best offer he got was to come back, finish his rehab, because he's coming off a terrible Achilles injury, which 
are hard to come back from. So maybe he took a discount this year to come back to the team and then, you know, he's not that involved, but shows enough that then next year he can go out and get a, a bigger contract than he would have this year. So I'm not overly concerned about Marlon Mack. All right, number three, J.K. Dobbins. This one's interesting, um, and, and I want to get your take on it first, Jake. Yeah, Dobbins is a weird case. So number three in ADP overall, third running back, of course, finishing RB33 in points per game. Now, if you recall this last offseason, I was huge in Mark Ingram and the value discount that was had for Mount for Mark Ingram, I thought, in drafts, because I thought there would be a 50-50 split, essentially, between Dobbins and Ingram. Now, I didn't even factor in Gus Edwards, who is relevant to this conversation, because mm-hmm. he did take a substantial amount of snaps. It really was almost a, a 33% split all the way through when you look at the, the year-end numbers. Dobbins finished, though, it's not reflective of where this is going, because Ingram's out of the way now. He was still getting fed touches, and I have to just admit, he shouldn't have been. Mark Ingram should not have been (laughs) siphoning touches from anybody last year. It was awful. We saw that cliff get hit and hit hard Mm -hmm. with Ingram. So, my only concern, really, is about touchdowns with Dobbins at this point. I'm still not discounting the fact that Gus Edwards... We'll, we'll take away touches because he did get re-signed, I believe. Correct. They actually put yep. that tender on him. So Edwards is going to be there and, and he's a good running back. I don't want anybody to think that J.K. Dobbins is now 80% running back share in that backfield. That's not going to happen. And this is going to siphon away so much of the rushing yards, but I'm worried about the rushing touchdowns also getting taken away by mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason I'm not super high on him this year. I mean, I'll have him if he falls, I don't know, eighth, ninth running back off the board, maybe. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I pretty much agree with you there uh, with everything you said. I just, in that offense with Lamar Jackson, I just don't see him getting the volume that he needs to be a top 12 running back in the league, uh, especially with Gus Edwards being re-signed there. They put, I think, a second-round tender on him. So you can tell they're very high on him, and he's going to be involved. I mean, we saw that last year, especially at the end of the year when Mark Ingram was a healthy scratch and inactive. Uh, uh, we saw, like you said, basically a three-way split between Lamar and Dobbins and the Gus bus. So I just... While I love Dobbins and I love his athleticism, I think he can be a three-down back in this league. I just don't think in the offense he's in that that's ever going to happen. So he's going to be pretty depressed for me uh, once I solidify my offseason ranks here. Uh, but I love the talent. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I I don't know. There's a number of names we're going to talk about here that I would rather mm-hmm. have above Dobbins, mm-hmm. I think. And this is the dividing line for me, though, this next guy. Yeah, I would say this this next guy here in particular I would put above Dobbins. Uh, it's DeAndre Swift, uh, fourth off the board, fourth running back, finished uh, RB18 in points per game. I I really like him. That's all I can say. He had a very slow start, uh, kind of like Jonathan Taylor. Had a slow start, uh, got a whole new coaching uh, staff there for him now. It's going to be a, a new offense. 
uh, let's be honest, the Patricia offense and the Patricia coaching regime did no favors for anybody uh, on that offense fantasy-wise. So uh, it can only improve for him. I think wasn't he dinged up early in the season, which kind of slowed him down a little bit. Uh, But we saw him start to play better at the end of the season, and I I like it with Goff there now as well. Um, I think Goff will probably check down to him a little bit. Um, so yeah, I love DeAndre Swift and I, I wheels up on him. Yeah. I don't know that I would say I loved DeAndre Swift and that's why this him versus Dobbins is so weird. Dobbins is more related to the, the touchdown cap, whereas Swift is related to my very fervent association with hating Lions running backs historically for fantasy. Like I've not encountered a Lions running back that I have ever wanted since I started playing fantasy football. Like Amir Abdullah was one of the first running backs I ever drafted. First players I ever drafted in fantasy football. And ever since the taste in my mouth has been so bad for Lions. And I have to just get rid of that bias. But also, yes, Swift was uh, hobbled for a couple of games. He missed a couple of games. But even still, the fact that Adrian Peterson, at 35 years young, was vulturing so many touches away from him, even when he was healthy, I mean, that's a little bit of a concern, no? You, I, I understand AD. He's he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, he's a he's cyborg. Also 30, <laughs> he's also 35 years old, and he's, he's competing with a 21-year-old rookie who maybe it's the offense, maybe it was Patricia, like you're saying. And and to be fair, I don't love Patricia as a as a coach, regardless. Um, but you know, his numbers were they were they were fine. I liked what I saw from the pass catching with mm-hmm. DeAndre Swift. I think that's what's going to save him ultimately. And he has Goff there. Um, I, I don't know. He should be dumping it down a fair bit because there's not a lot else to work with in Detroit right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that gets solved through the drafts. But, yeah, I think the pass catching is ultimately what's going to save DeAndre Swift. It's no carry-on, probably. No Peterson, probably. So who else do they bring in to compliment? We'll see. Yeah, obviously there is going to be someone else there, but uh, he should get the bulk of the workload, which is what I really like. So number five, we have a switch. Finally, first wide receiver off the board, uh, CeeDee Lamb. I think everybody would say – he probably should have gotten drafted higher than fifth overall uh, in in rookie drafts, just based on what we saw. I mean, this kid, oh man, he's the real deal. He is he is a stud, number one alpha in the making in the league. Uh, it's too bad that Dak got injured. I mean, he still had a decent season, uh, finished as the wide receiver, thirty five in points per game, which you love to see. Um, you know, there's so many mouths to feed, and that whole offense just got derailed when Dak went down for the season. So I don't know how much we need to talk about him because he is the real deal. And I don't think there's a price that's too high to pay for him at this point. I I fully agree with that. If you're going to acquire him right now in dynasty, do it right, right now, by the way, don't, don't wait any longer to do it because there is still going to be a little bit of recency bias as stupid as it is where people are, they're still going to be high on him. I don't think you're going to steal him away mm-hmm. from any dynasty owners, but I do think that there's enough of that. Like they're not valuing him the way that, that they did when they drafted him first, 
you know, knowing how great he is, it's sure they know that in the back of their minds, but it's not front of mind right now. And that's kind of when you have to attack for that. Looking at his splits with and without Dak is massive. His PPR points in the five games that were played with Dak is averaging above 17 points per game. Meanwhile, without him, still good, still fine, 11.5 points per game. That's his floor. Mm -hmm. That's his floor. So, yes, you should be thrilled to have him. If he's your wide receiver one on a team, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't think there's too much we have to say about it just because he is... He is the stud of the, uh, or one of the studs of this uh, draft class. So moving on, number six was Cam Akers. Finished RB53 in points per game. Yeah, uh, that's about, that that, that pretty well sums up how I feel about him. Uh, Is that frustration just boiling up to the top? Is that what that is? It is. And I know he was injured to start the season and, got going late as we've seen from some of these other running backs. I just don't trust McVay and those, that offense there to give the workload to one running back. Now I know we saw it a handful of years ago with Todd Gurley, but I think they also saw what that, what happened to Gurley and how that affected their team when they didn't have a competent backup at that time. So I think they've they've got the players now in place that they they like, and I think it's going to be more of a split than we think it's going to be. And that, that just scares me uh, for Cam. Yeah, I really do think that people are putting too much weight onto this supposition that Cam Akers is, he's the lead dog now. Mm-hmm. Like, watch him run this year. Yeah, maybe. Like you said, maybe they do go back to the the ways of Todd Gurley. But Daryl Henderson, he's not going anywhere, and he's mm-hmm. not bad enough for you to just relegate him as this side thing. Like, ah, yeah, you no, know, he's just changing pace. Is he? Because Daryl Henderson actually looked really good for a stretch in and, 2020. And they drafted him fairly high in 2019. It's not like he was some... Um six round rookie running back, you know, like they, they drafted him, I think in the second round in, in 2019, uh, either the second or the third. So, uh, he was a very, had very high draft capital for a running back. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they felt like he wasn't the guy, but obviously they saw something in him when they drafted him. So that's why I feel like it's, it's going to be a, like almost a true 50, 50 time share in that backfield. Yeah, I think it could be very close to it. Uh, now, the big thing is, of course, Matt Stafford's there running mm-hmm. things this year. So how, how much does that help the overall offense? I still think that it does. I mm-hmm. think it's an upgrade to the offense. Agreed. I think it keeps things humming. You're going to see more opportunities for the entire offense because of that, which is good. That's mm-hmm. good. And Malcolm Brown, yeah, he was there taking touches. He's not there anymore. Somebody else could still come in and, and do that. could be mm-hmm. a... a Change pace back that still comes in to do that. What I did want to point out, so my my uh, my other co-host, I hope it's okay to talk about my side piece here quick, Dustin. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Michelle Majuk from the Ball Blast podcast pointed out this very interesting thing on Twitter. Because she, of course, is a big Zach Moss fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she thinks it's weird how much uh, favoritism, so to speak, is put towards Cam Akers. And so much put against Zach Moss. 
But this is actually a Acres versus CEH comparison here, Dustin. Okay. I didn't know this. But one of the big knocks that we didn't talk about with CEH was he can't get into the end zone. He gets all these opportunities. He right. can't convert in the in the red zone. So, you know, that takes down his scoring upside. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to point out that CEH had nine carries inside the five-yard line and okay. got one touchdown out of it. Cam Akers had eight carries, got one touchdown out of it. Inside the 10-yard line, CEH had 15 carries, got one touchdown out of it. Akers had 21 carries, got two touchdowns out of it. So the narrative could be that, well, Akers upside is capped a little bit if he himself can't convert within Mm -hmm. the the red zone as well, which is something I wouldn't put so much weight on it, but it's pretty interesting. Um, I just think there's more knocks against Akers than people are willing to admit right now is all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, number seven is Jerry Judy, second wide receiver off the board, uh, finished as wide receiver 59 in points per game. Uh, obviously, I love the talent there. Uh, I still think he's probably in in the top five for sure of this wide receiver rookie class. Uh, we just didn't really see it last year, and that's that whole offense was just putrid there in Denver with Locke. I mean, I know he's gotten uh, another chance, it looks like, here, at least for now. Uh, For this next season, you had Cortland Sutton that got injured early in the season. So, uh, you know, you had Jerry Judy coming in as a rookie trying to be that number one on that offense, and it just didn't work out. So I I still love him moving forward. I think he's got a ton of talent. Uh, I love his route running ability. I think he is probably one of the best in this class. Uh, and that obviously doesn't change, but, um, I mean, he can only go up here. I mean, he's someone definitely that you can buy at a discount right now. Cause I think people are going to be so down on the lack of production from this last season. Yeah. I am a little more nervous for Judy than I am for almost anybody else that we're going to talk about here today. And one is, because we don't know what the quarterback's going to look like there mm-hmm. next year. And if it's Drew Locke, then I'm uh, I'm almost wanting to be out of the entire offense in Denver. And Jerry Judy, yes, it's very tough to come in and be the, the number one, I think, as a rookie on an offense like that. And maybe Cortland Sutton coming back helps also worry about Judy's scoring upside. Because Jerry Judy had, like, no targets in the red zone. As Mm -hmm. the only option outside of Noah Fant this last year. I mean, you have to scroll and scroll and scroll (laughs) to find his name of where his red zone target percentage is. Mm -hmm. Like it it is outside of the top 100, maybe 150 of all pass catchers from last year. That's that's so bad when you don't have competition for those targets and then you can't get that. That's what worries me only about upside. But I think he is very much a good, respectable player. I think he's going to be a little bit more Jarvis Mm Landry-esque than that big upside guy. But I think he'll be competent. I was going to say, which is fine. Everybody needs a Mm -hmm. solid wide receiver, too, on your team. They all can't be studs. And like we just talked about with the drunk trade. I mean, Jarvis Landry, like, he's great. Uh, Very undervalued and underrated. But he... He doesn't bust for you every week. So, yeah, if if, if that ends up being Jerry Judy's uh, career arc, yeah, that, that's not going to be too bad. <laughs> if 
For sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, go take that. Yeah, absolutely. So then uh, number eight, we get our first quarterback off the board, uh, Joe Burrow, which I was a little surprised as I was throwing together the the ADP list here that uh, in, in a PPR league that Burrow would go so high in the first. I thought it'd be a little bit later towards the end of the first, early second. So I was a little surprised to see him at eight. Um, what's not to like with what you saw out of him. I think he came in, did extremely well, given how poor that offensive line was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he made AJ green look good for a little while there uh, and had some flashes. Well, so <laughs> let's not oversell it. I think he made him look like a warm blooded being for a while. Oh, come on. I will not give AJ <laughs> green the, the credit that you want me to here today. <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, he's obviously the real deal. It's unfortunate that he tore his ACL. Like he said, uh, he should be coming back at the start of this season. Uh, hopefully he's not hampered by that at all. I mean, sometimes it takes a year before they are really comfortable on that knee again and doing everything they want to do. But um, yeah, as the number one overall QB, he looked like the real deal. And I'll admit that um, I, I, I wasn't too high on Burrow going in. I mean... I was nervous about him only having that one really great season at LSU in his final college season. So I was glad to see that that kind of transferred over there for him into the NFL. So, uh, yeah, love love the guy. I think he's going to be another very competent quarterback. I also, you know, <laughs> I still I hate I feel like I'm being the wet blanket in this episode, uh, but. I don't think that Joe Burrow is maybe what we all hoped that he was going to be. I think what we hoped he was going to be is going to turn into Justin Herbert. And Burrow is going to be very good. He's going to be like a Matt Ryan in terms of production, I think. Mm-hmm. Not like style of play, but I think he's going to be that guy for production, which can be right. very good. I mean, you're, or you're Phillip Rivers from back in the day mm-hmm. where he's that low-end quarterback one. Yeah. And you're great with it because he, he's going to be consistent. The thing that scares me... One is that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like they have to have to fix Cincinnati's offensive line because otherwise these injuries could stop being flukes. Mm-hmm. And I know they did uh, address it a little bit in free agency. They did make a couple of moves. Uh, hopefully they will bolster that in the upcoming draft here and, yeah. and really shore it up for him. Because I agree. If, if they don't do that, then he's just dead in the water. Yeah, if they aren't spending day one or day two picks on offensive line help in this draft, then I start getting really nervous. Like somebody just sent me a trade today that included Joe Burrow, and it was not a slam dunk because I'm still kind of nervous about what could happen with his his injuries. But mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm probably putting too much on that, to be honest. But like I said, I think he'll be very solid. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Then number nine is Justin Jefferson. Uh, I know what's to say about him. Uh, Obviously if we were uh, drafting now based off of what we know, he probably would have been in the top three picks overall, overall, you know? So um, yeah, he's the real deal. And as Packer fans, we got to see him up close and personal two times last year and get to see him for the foreseeable future, at least twice a year. Uh, And it's very scary because he is very, very good. Um, You know, even in that offense where, you know, you're a little bit worried about the volume just because it is more of a run first offense. Uh, But Adam Thielen, I think he's turning 30 this season. So maybe he's starting to lose a step uh, a little bit there. 
and uh, Justin Jefferson's just the the new hotness in the league and uh, Kirk Cousins' new best friend. I mean, wheels up for him because he looked phenomenal, just phenomenal. For sure. And, and we hinted at this on our wide receiver recap from a few weeks ago. But like, yeah, there's a shift in that offense now where it's it's not going to be Adam Thielen as the primary target anymore. Mm-hmm. I certainly think it's Justin Jefferson's time to be that. And what's scary almost is like this feels like his absolute floor. This feels like Justin Jefferson's absolute floor. And he already finished inside the top 10 in his mm-hmm. rookie year because it it's not like it took him forever to get going. But really, you didn't see that specialness until like week six. And mm-hmm. then from there on, it, like if you only look, I just pulled it up because I was curious. From week six, when he really hit against Atlanta, and then he was unstoppable basically the rest of the way, he was on pace for 100 receptions for 1,500 yards and nine touchdowns. I mean, that is fucking bonkers. I might draft this guy in redraft this year in like the second round. Yeah, and I wouldn't blame uh, you either. I mean, he's... I don't think you'll get him further. Yeah, I I, I agree. Like, he is... He's special. Yeah, he, I mean, you can see that. Like, and he makes it look effortless. So uh, if you have a chance to grab him, at any sort of discount right now, which I highly, highly doubt, but you never know. Uh, jump on it. Uh, even if you have to overpay, it was, he's only mm-hmm. a rookie. He's young. Like he's going to produce for the next eight years at least. Uh, so yeah, go get him if you can. You're not going to regret it. Cough up those three first rounders now and just deal with it. <laughs> so number 10 off the board, Jalen Rager for Philadelphia, kind of a lost season there. Uh, it's, it's pretty disappointing. Uh, I don't get it. I, I don't get it, Dustin. What the hell are we missing that he did not have at least more opportunity? I, I really think don't. I think that Philadelphia is just where wide receivers go to die at this point. Because um, there's just, I don't know, their their whole, the offense just in general last year was awful. And, you know, hopefully now with... Uh, hurts there they can form that offense around him and and really have a solid offensive scheme that will highlight his skills but then also with rager being in a second season now you know maybe they can grow together here this offseason and build a little chemistry uh where he obviously didn't have that last year with wentz or hurts yeah yeah it's sad and obviously he didn't play the full 16 mm-hmm. soon to be full 17 we didn't yeah. talk about that at the top of the episode but bury NFL the lead did approve the 17 game schedule going forward which by the way is a good thing that we are talking about this in terms of points per game now because mm-hmm. that's going to be very important now as we transition it into really the is game schedule uh but yeah he missed some time and so many players missed time on that offense but he was still you know he's fifth down the list and targets. I mean, Greg Ward just whooped him in terms of targets. And I don't want to, I don't want to talk bad about Greg Ward, but he certainly is not the type of prospect that people thought Jalen Reger would be. Maybe they just couldn't get the deep ball working. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you nervous at all about Jalen Hurts? If he's, it seems like he's the guy for 2021, barring mm-hmm. something weird, but are you worried about the amount of targets that he could get? A little bit. Um, I, I just I'm aside from maybe Miles Sanders uh, and Dallas Goddard. I'm, I'm assuming um, 
Ertz is going to be traded at some point here this offseason, whether it's a da- draft day trade. That was easy to say. Um, <laughs> or or something happens later in the offseason. I don't know. I don't expect him to be there, though, this year. I really don't. So besides Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, I'm just kind of staying away from the other offensive pieces as a whole, unless I get some sort of deep discount on them. Like if someone wants to send me Jalen Rager for like a late second or something, I, I would do it just to take mm-hmm. the shot on them. But um, other than that, I am not going to pay up for anyone else on this team. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe go to the waivers and hunt for like a, a Quez Watkins or one mm-hmm. of those other random rookies that mm-hmm. may now get some chance. Uh, otherwise I'm fully with you. I'm staying away from, I'm not even buying the dip on Jalen Rager like that perceived discount that you mm-hmm. might get here normally this is when i would do that with wide receivers because we always talk about how we typically don't draft them in rookie drafts try and trade for them after this offense as a whole really scares me so i don't yeah. think i'm doing that all right next number 11 is henry ruggs at with the raiders he was the fifth wide receiver off mm-hmm. the board again kind of a disappointing season we saw some flashes from him had a few really big plays which we we're all really excited about but for whatever reason um just couldn't put it together on a week-to-week basis. Uh, obviously, that offense all just flows through Darren Waller there. So eh, I'm kind of out on him moving forward. Uh, he He's going to be one of those Deshaun Jackson types where he has those boom games, but then will bust just as much. And I don't like that kind of variance on my rosters personally. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, unless, unless things really change this offseason – and, and we see him be more involved in the game plan, uh, I, I, I'll i probably be out on him. I think your saving grace is Derek Carr was actually a very good deep ball passer mm-hmm. when he did it last year. He just didn't do it very much. So, yeah, maybe he gets more opportunities, and if he does, then cool. I just traded Henry Ruggs for Jameis Winston in a league, and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, um, that sounds Jesus. great. <laughs> <laughs> and a super flex, I have to say. Yeah, uh, Ruggs, I don't know. Take him or leave him. Mm-hmm. I'm not ditching him altogether, but I'm certainly not putting a lot of stock in him. Yep. All right. And then last pick in the first round here. Um, probably has the most question marks around him at this point, I would say. It's yeah. Tua. From the Mi- Thank you. From mm-hmm. <laughs> the Dolphins. Uh, second quarterback off the board. Uh, was very high. You know, I know there's a lot of question marks going with him and his hip injury going into the draft season and the off season of what was going to happen there. But prior to, excuse me, the uh, injury, he was projected to be the number one quarterback of this class and obviously was derailed. Now, I don't like how the Dolphins did him last season uh, between him and Fitzpatrick. I really thought he was going to sit out the entire season and really just kind of take a red shirt uh, season for him Mm -hmm. and just let Fitzpatrick as kind of the bridge guy play the entire season. They know they weren't necessarily trying to win a ton of games, uh, which obviously Fitzpatrick was doing very well and they were winning games. Um, But then they started having Tua come in. He looked bad. They would pull him out, uh, put Fitzpatrick back in. And it was just this whole just merry-go-round of quarterback starts. It's Uh, what happened the year previously with Jameis Winston and Ryan mm -hmm. Fitzpatrick in Tampa Bay, but it's so much worse because this was a rookie who wasn't throwing a bunch of picks. It's weird. Well, and yeah, he wasn't throwing picks and you know, his wide receivers aren't terrific there. You know, he doesn't, he didn't have a great supporting cast and maybe he Mm -hmm. just wasn't fully 
you know, the confidence, like we were saying with Joe Burrow, maybe the confidence just wasn't there for him to be running around and trusting his hip like he really needs to. Uh, so maybe that played part of, of his struggles last year. Uh, I really hope that he gets the opportunity. Um, and I know Fitzpatrick is gone this year. So it, it looks like he is the number one guy, but there's a lot of chatter out there that maybe he's not the quarterback that everyone thought he was. How do you weigh in on that? I think people are too hard on Tua in general for this year because of everything you said. I don't know how anybody expects a quarterback to thrive in that scenario. That's outlandish to me. Piss poor management, Dolphins, mm-hmm. on, on on doing that to your quarterback. I think that he is going to be proficient. He, we can't undersell that injury still. He was still returning from injury, which is why, like you said, I think the anticipation was let the kids sit for the majority of the year. Maybe in the last few games, right. bring him in, get him some experience. But don't do this thing where you toss him in a quarter of the way through, and now let's see what you got. Well, okay, are you going to let him heal or not? And then if you could put him in, are you going to let him thrive or not? And they didn't commit either way, so yeah. it sucks. I mean, they should have just let him take his knocks and learn from it, and mm-hmm. he'd probably be better off for it this next season. Yeah. Now they did add one weapon so far, which was Will Fuller, which is nice. It's mm-hmm. good to have another option outside of Devontae Parker, uh, who himself is very fine, but he's not like an alpha number one to me. Mm-hmm. So look, and maybe they still have a lot to work with in terms of draft capital. So if they keep adding pieces, cool. I think there's like a 5% chance that he's not their starter for some reason, or they do some weird trade yet where they don't really believe in him. I think it'd be foolish. I think they have to stick with him. And uh, he's a guy I'd be interested in going to trade for with a low discount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, should we keep going here now that we're out of the first round? Or yeah, let's do some jumping around Do here, some jumping around. There's some names here that I don't want to talk about, like Keyshawn Vaughn. Do we do we have anything to say about Keyshawn Vaughn outside of that? No, that that sums it up perfectly. RB six in ADP, RB one oh eight in PP uh, points per game. No thanks. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Jones is there. Leonard Fournette is there. Keyshawn Vaughn just chalk him up to a loss. Mm-hmm. But T Higgins, yes. we already alluded to him in the drunk trade. Mm-hmm. I have one other thing to say about T Higgins, which is. Uh, he will be that guy that you can probably get in your redraft this year, assuming that things stay mostly the way they are in Cincinnati in like the fifth round, maybe later. And mm-hmm. you should be jumping all over that. Absolutely. Yeah. His stock is only going to go up from what we saw last season. Um, I think that, uh, he should have been drafted way earlier than we was. I think a lot of, uh, people missed on how good he actually was. I think people, you know, they thought he was going to be fine. I, you know, but I don't think they saw, you know, myself included, uh, how good he was actually going to be. And uh, yeah, stock rising on him. He's he's the real deal. Can we talk about the fact that I, I de-emphasized T. Higgins in the offseason because of A.J. Green being in his way? Can we just hint uh, that maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about sometimes when it comes to depth charts? Because that was an actual concern that I had. In the uh, the offseason. Yes, that is correct, Kevin. I don't know if that was in reference to this or not, but it fits. I'm assuming it was for uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Fair. That, that's my guess. Because He says would... the price is right losing horn uh, just in those fun little brackets. Yeah, I think yeah. that applies to both situations, quite frankly. Yes. All right. Um, who do you want to talk about next here? 
I personally want to talk about Denzel Mims because okay. nobody's talking about Denzel Mims. Uh, New York Jets rookie wide receiver last year did, did not see much. Didn't mm-hmm. see much action. And that offense atrocious. We all agree. Jets atrocious. But things are shifting. The tides mm-hmm. are turning. The bad man's gone. Adam Gase is out of there. Uh, we'll see what the quarterback situation holds. But as of right now, there's not a lot of competition being added for him. His only competition last year, to be fair, was Rashad Perryman, pretty much, and Jameson Crowder. You don't think Corey Davis is uh, competition? I'm saying he's good, but he you didn't see somebody like Allen Robinson get added to the Jets. You didn't Correct. see a top-tier name get added. Corey Davis is good. I don't want people to think that I'm ragging on him too much, but he is not an alpha number one receiver. Correct. I don't think to my untrained eye, I don't think he is. So there's more room for Mims to thrive. Mm-hmm. I think you could see more of a one, a one B situation there in that offense. That's all I'm saying. No, absolutely. I'm just giving you a hard time there. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, I, I really like Mims and I think his stock is definitely rising. I, I Hopefully this new offensive scheme that they're bringing in, the coaching staff, will kind of unlock the offense. It seems like they're they're trying to make the right moves here. Mm. Uh, I think the draft will really tell what they're going to do and, you know, if Darnold is the guy moving forward for them or not. So uh, remains to be seen. Uh, I kind of want to talk about Brandon Ayuk. I know everybody is hot and bothered by him. Uh, I... I just don't know. In that offense, I mean, he he definitely flashed. But was that more of a function because Debo was hurt and Kittle was out? Or is he the real deal? I don't know. I tend to think that um, in this offense, it's obviously running backs first and then Kittle gets his. Mm-hmm. And then I really do believe that Debo is the better player. As far as the wide receivers, I I mean, I liked what I saw from Ayuk. I just don't know that he's going to be the guy on on that team. And if I'm going to hedge my bets, I'm going to go for Debo before I go for Ayuk. Well, if you recall, we made a beer bet Mm -hmm. in reference to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, which I thought I was giving this amazing opportunity for me to have this contrarian take here where I was going to take Debo above Ayuk. And it turned out you would also take Debo above Mm -hmm. Ayuk. Now, where we fall differently here is I said it would be very close. I perceive these guys to be, you know, overall points per game. They're going to be within a few spots of each other. You see it much differently that Debo is going to be head and shoulders above Ayuk. I think the important question is, though, yeah, Kittle's back. Now what? Mm -hmm. Now what actually happens in that offense? Because that's a hell of a test run. You know, Mm -hmm. you get a few games with Kittle in there to wet your feet, and then he's gone, and then you come in and dominate, and Samuel, of course, the same being out so it's like well with all the competition back there i still think he's gonna be great but i don't think he's gonna be what people want him to be Mm -hmm. yeah so i think right now if you can sell high on him that would be the move because i think you can get a pretty good haul for him at this point absolutely multiple firsts for Ayuk Mm -hmm. right now in dynasty i'd be listening to those offers Mm -hmm. um next we won't uh, talk about this next player too much basically aj dylan you missed your sell high window on him um so if you did i apologize um because yeah you could have sold him for a king's ransom there uh in that period uh free agency when our boy Aaron Jones didn't resign yet. And everyone yeah. thought that Dylan was going to be the man there. So um, he's going to be 
uh, a competent backup there, but he's not going to be as involved in the passing game that he needs to be that say a Jamal Williams was to make him really fantasy relevant, unfortunately. Yeah. Bring in Tevin, Kevin Tompkins from the chat. Bring in that price is right. Losing horn again. <laughs> so that's, again, fitting for this. Yeah. I think what you said about Jamal Williams is so important because Jamal Williams, we talked about how undervalued he was because mm-hmm. he got receptions and he would be like an RB three, just a good guy that you could plug in on mm-hmm. your five weeks or as a flex position. And people kind of didn't pay him enough mind. And now I think he had more value than Dylan will have himself mm-hmm. this year, but people are valuing him higher still than they were valuing Jamal Williams. And so I think there's going to be still further disappointment for the AJ Dylan club. All right. Next, I want to talk Justin Herbert. Yeah. Quarterback. Third quarterback off the board at 20th overall. Uh, wow. Finished as the QB9 in points per game. I mean... I feel bad for Tyrod Taylor. Let's be honest. Nobody wants to see that. But holy man, Justin Herbert um, just lit the world up, and he looks phenomenal. Uh, He's fucking good. This guy's <laughs> fucking good. Holy man, yeah. And I, I love all the weapons on that offense. I, I There's nothing not to like about him. Um, definitely, probably, you could say, the steal of the draft at this point. Um, and like I said, nothing not to like. I think just... If you got him, you're extremely happy. Smoke him if you got him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Jake, who do you want to talk about next here? I really, we have to talk about Antonio Gibson because outside of one guy who is not even on this list, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, James Robinson is not probably going to be found on this list. If oh, he he's, is, he's, he's down really there. Far down. He's way okay. far down there. Okay, let's talk about them both together because I think this is a question that a lot of people are going to be dealing with in terms of, uh, you know, redraft, when you're on the clock, these guys are probably going to have similar ADPs. Mm -hmm. So Antonio Gibson, of course, running back for the Washington football team, name maybe being changed, James Robinson for the Jaguars. Now, ADP was not big for either of these guys, but their finishes, very respectable. Antonio Gibson, RB19 points per game. James Robinson, of course, lit the world on fire, RB7 points per game. I think that these two are going to be, like I said, back-to-back in a lot of drafts. I really love Antonio Gibson, and I think his his ticker is pointing up, whereas I think James Robinson has maybe already reached his apex. Um, he's an undrafted guy, James Robinson, mm-hmm. and his was his efficiency for lack of a better word i guess his production was due to volume he was the only guy he got 90 percent of the workload basically in that backfield antonio gibson had jd mckissick eating into his targets the whole year and he still produced like a beast and antonio gibson was a wide receiver and he didn't even really get receiving work um you know he came out of college as a receiver doesn't get the targets his rookie year still impresses i think that means a lot i think that means that his his uh, ceiling is like top five, whereas James Ooh. Robinson, yeah, I, I mean, I'm bullish that's, about Antonio that's spicy. But James Robinson, I don't see top five in his future again because he's a volume guy, and there's no way that the Jags let him have that kind of val- that volume again this year. Mm-hmm. Well, and that whole offense with the Jags is, is going to be changing. I mean, new head coach, new offensive scheme, I'm sure. Uh, 
you know, so yeah, I, I can see where he was. Robinson was at peak value, uh, where Gibson only has room to improve because of that passing work. And hopefully, um, we, we see that shift to him a little bit more where he's a little bit more involved with that passing work. I don't know if that was just due to the fact that maybe his, uh, pass pro wasn't great where JD McKissick actually could be trusted to do that. Um, so we'll see. We will see. The only thing left to do is see. That's right. <laughs> is there anybody down on this list that you're interested here? Uh, yeah, I want to talk Chase Claypool briefly here. Uh, was wide receiver 12, the 24th, right at the end of the second round um, last year. I have real mixed feelings about him because I loved what I saw, mm-hmm. but he also scored a ton of touchdowns last year and we know touchdowns are very fickle. Um, so I, I wish that his production would have come from more receptions and more yards, more of those sticky numbers um, rather than those big plays where he busted off a, a you know, a big touchdown reception. Um, so I'm, I'm a little worried about him. Uh, I, he's obviously very, very talented, very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not saying he's not. I just think the hype on him is, is really high right now. And personally, I would probably be trying to sell high on him if I could. Um, mm. especially with Ben Roethlisberger still there, maybe he improves this year coming back from that injury, uh, at being another year removed from it, but you still have a very crowded wide receiver room. Juju resigned there. You got James Washington. You got Deontay Johnson. I mean, there's a, a lot of potential mouths to feed in that offense. And if you're relying on touchdowns for Claypool, I just don't know that that will necessarily be there. And that that's what kind of what scares me the most. I get that. I do. This offense is the hardest for me to project Mm -hmm. going into 2021 because there's two things that were such an anomaly. One, they abandoned their run game almost entirely for the entire year. The short passing game became their run game. So the the overall passing attempts were massive on that team. However, Ben's actual numbers were so terrible. They were so bad. His air yards per attempt or 6.6. That is, that is, that, like, I would do that throwing my cat to my fiance. Like, that is 6.6 yards, basically. I don't want you to think I abuse my cat. I do not. But I'm just trying to get some sort of mental image of what that might look like. And that's basically, it's Ben shot putting the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what 6.6 air yards per attempt looks like. That number, unless his shoulder, his arm is just totally dead, totally done. That has to increase. Or if he doesn't maybe finish out the season and they bring somebody, anybody else in, whether it's Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins or whatever grossness is back there, it still has to go up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But overall, I worry about the the attempts, the quality of the attempts. I will say Chase Claypool, 100 targets, though. It's not not bad. No, that's not bad. bad. But yeah, you're right. The touchdowns, it's, it's worrisome. Does he jump to the number two slot on that receiving core? Does he usurp Deontay Johnson or Juju? I don't know. I don't know. If I had to pick between, say, Deontay Johnson and Claypool, I would probably go with Deontay Johnson just for draft capital. You have to invest alone. 
Um, I think people are down on him because of the dropsies last year. I think he's going to get mm-hmm. that fixed and and he's going to bounce back this year and have a very solid season. So, uh, who do you want to talk about next year, Jake? One player that I'm very curious to get your talking points on. Mm-hmm. That felt very formal. That felt like a business meeting. I need your talking points here. But truly, for Cole Komet, the tight end in Chicago, he's a darling a little bit on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And as we know, Twitter's not uh, the end all in terms of what the actual values are for players. It's not, but it's an interesting it's an interesting case study because he was the first tight end taken in rookie mm-hmm. drafts. Not saying a lot. He was the tight end one at the twenty eighth overall spot, which is fair mm-hmm. for tight ends. People don't like right. to take him super high. He finished on points per game basis as tight end forty nine. That's bad. That's very very bad, even for tight ends. However, Jimmy Graham, old man Jimmy Graham had a weird resurgence in Chicago this this last year. I don't think any of us expected. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't. I thought it was weird uh, that he was getting so much work above Komet, who does seem to be, he's a really great prospect. We just didn't get a chance to see it. We saw it in a couple of games towards the end of the season, and he flashed. Mm-hmm. And that's all you really need to see from a rookie tight end is at least, are you capable of doing this for a whole game, even if it's just a couple of them? And he was. We just didn't get to see it until the very end. This is why you typically get those trade values with rookie tight ends is because they don't show up from day one. So if you didn't trade for Cole Komet already, maybe you missed your window because Jimmy Graham is is not there anymore. But I think he's still worth investing in because if Jimmy Graham can be a top 10 tight end, then Cole Komet can easily do that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was nodding just for our audio only listeners. I was pretty much nodding <laughs> yes to everything you were saying, because I agree. I like Cole Komet. Uh, I, he definitely was much more involved the last, you know, five to six games of the season where, where you saw him being more and more involved, more routes being run, um, more, more catches. He was getting the touchdowns. Uh, and, and like you said, that's what you like to see out of your rookie tight ends. Rookies typically take at least three years to be fully like involved and up to speed because let's be honest, that's probably the most complex position to learn outside of quarterback, because not only do you have to learn a passing route tree, you also have to know all the run blocking schemes as well. So, I mean, you're doing double duty there. So it usually takes a few years for tight ends to really get fully acclimated to the league. And the fact that you saw him getting more and more involved as the season went on uh, just bodes really well for his future. And, he might be a sneaky late round tight end in redraft this year to take. Um, so I wonder just, if the hype boosts him up to, into those middle rounds, which I would be terrified about because we always talk about middle round tight ends. Do you think he'll he'll get there by the I, time season hits? I don't know. Do you think your average home league is is going to know the name Cole Komet? That's a fair point. No, I mean, he's I mean, certainly not a sexy name. No, and I know uh, around around here in our neck of the woods, yes, because mm-hmm. obviously he's in the same division. So I'm sure you know people would know that around this neck of the woods. But just in general, you know, he's like you said, he's not that sexy name. He didn't have a huge season um, where he could actually have like a little mini breakout this year. Again, for the draft capital that you potentially have to spend on him, if you're kind yeah. of punting the position, he could have an incredible return for you. That's a very good point. I agree. Okay. 
I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Do you want to talk Jalen Hurts a little bit? Yeah, I know we, I think I think we, we touched on him somewhat already. Yeah. Um, he was the fifth QB taken off the board. Uh, end of the third round, 35 overall. Now, I'll admit I am not as high on him as a lot of people out there, other analysts are, and I'm assuming that's the same with you, Jake. I think you're probably higher on him than I am because people see the upside with his running ability, which is sure. like, it's the Konami code, as they say, like you're basically guaranteed points, which I get. Um, and he looked okay for that little stretch down the end of the season. But as we talked about their offense, we don't know what it's going to be. I mean, I know they have an entire offseason to tailor the offense towards him and, and make it so it's much more friendly for him. But I, I just worry that there's not going to be enough passing volume there along with his running. Um, and, and like I said, I'm just kind of out on this whole offense in general. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't have him nearly as high as a lot of other people do. I think that he gets a little bit of a bad rap for his, not for his passing efficiency, which I think is bad and does need work. I mean, he had a 52% passing completion rate. That, that's not good. No. But his attempts were there in in some games. You saw him, uh, you saw him cross thirty attempts in three straight games, which is, I mean, that's good. That mm-hmm. is a baseline. That's at least what you want to see. We're not in Lamar Jackson territory. Right. Where it's like, oh, he, he hasn't thrown a ball this entire quarter, you know. Uh, but what I'm concerned about with Hurts, at least from a dynasty perspective, and that's why I'm not overly invested in him in dynasty leagues, is what are the Eagles doing with him? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He should have the chance this year because they traded back in the draft mm-hmm. from a spot where they could have easily taken one of these top quarterbacks, and now they're a little bit further back. But, oh, wait, they actually wanted to trade up to the number three spot overall. Well, who were you going to take at the number three spot overall? Probably a quarterback. Probably. And then you bring in Joe Flacco, the old vet, which is he's purely a backup at this point. Mm-hmm. But also... If you're invested in a guy like Jalen Hurts, whose main faculties are not pocket passing or not launching the ball a lot, why are you bringing in Joe Flacco as that backup? When Lamar Jackson had RG3 as his backup, that made sense because similar types of players right. running a similar type of offense. These two could not be more difficult or more different, mm-hmm. Joe Flacco and Jalen Hurts. So it's like, what, what, what kind of contingency is this? Are you saying, well, if Hurts sucks, Screw it. We have a competent backup veteran who right. can just put in there, and then we'll deal with next year, next year. Right. Which kind of seems like what they're doing. So it long does. term, I don't like Hurts. This year, though, because of the rushing ability, yeah, I'll, I'll probably fuck with Jalen Hurts in my redraft leagues. So I know um, there's some analysts out there that were saying er, early in the offseason, I know we're still technically early in the offseason, but that were saying that he was locked in top 12 quarterback, a number one quarterback next season. How do you feel yeah. about that? It'd be hard for me to have him outside of my top 12 points per game wise. Again, if hey, if he gets pulled halfway through the season, sure, you have to expect that. Right. And that's where it would get, I think, dangerous for people wanting to draft him. But Points per game wise, yeah, I have a hard time seeing him too far outside that top twelve. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just I'm not a believer. Is it the offense or is it him? That's a little of both. Okay. I just it's I the don't, offense I get. Yeah, it's it's him a little bit too. Um yeah, I just yeah, I don't know. And and if I'm wrong, 
I'll admit I'm wrong. We'll see at the end of this next season. (laughs) He's one of those guys you're fine being wrong on. Yes. Which I think is fine to identify, too. You don't have to be all in on every player. You can just be like, well, if they hit, I miss them. You just have to be comfortable with that. And and I will be. And I'll probably say, well, there was something there I didn't see and have to go back and look at the tape then. So, all right. We'll we'll do a few more players here before we uh, sign off for the evening. Um, I want to talk about our boy from Wisconsin, Quintez Cephas. Quintez? Uh, uh, He was the 18th wide receiver off the board, 44 overall. So basically free at the end of your rookie drafts, assuming most rookie drafts are are four rounds here. So uh, I like the situation he's in with Galladay gone now. Marvin Jones is gone. Um, He did flash last year when Galladay was hurt a little bit. So you like to see that. Um, I think he could really take a step forward this year. I'm not saying wide receiver one, maybe not even wide receiver two territory. He might be a low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three for you, but he's a guy that you can get essentially free at this point. You could probably get him for a late third, maybe even a fourth round rookie pick this year. And he's a guy that's going to end up producing for your squad. I'm so inclined to to agree with you because so just do oh, it. Well, because one, <laughs> because one, I want uh, to love Quintus because he's a Madison, Wisconsin guy. He's a Badger guy. I have to root for Quintus, and he did flash. Yes, he flashed mm-hmm. enough, just enough to be a respectable guy. And right now, there his only competition is Tyrell Williams, Rashad Perryman. Uh, that's it. <laughs> I think right now. Yeah. Uh, right. There's nobody else there besides Hawkinson. Course, TJ Hawkinson, yep. who's going to be the main target funnel, and and that's fine. My only question is, they're sitting at number seven right now in, at the draft. Do they take a Jamar Chase? Do they take one of these top rookie wide receiver prospects? And that doesn't that doesn't spell death for Quintez. Mm-hmm. I just think you know we have to be aware of the fact that it's unlikely they go into the year. With this as their wide receiver set, I'd be oh, very surprised. I yeah, absolutely. Wasn't Quintas like a fifth or sixth round NFL draft pick? I mean, he was pretty late, so, pretty low yeah. draft capital, but I think he did flash enough that he's going to get opportunity. Yeah. Um, where like with Tyrell Williams or Brashad Perryman, yeah, they've had their flashes as well, but they've also been in the league for how many years now? Where he flashed in year one as a very low draft capital rookie. So that that's the one thing that that it's like, just keep him on your radar. You know, maybe he's one of those offseason targets that, like I said, you can get for next to nothing on draft day, maybe. Oh, yeah. Low risk, high reward. Mm -hmm. All right. Hit me, Jake, with one more here. All right. There is one that's going to probably upset people because the expectation for this guy was pretty high coming into this offseason. Gabriel Davis, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. Now, on draft day last year, he was an afterthought. He was Mm -hmm. the 21st wide receiver, overall 49, again, free, basically Mm -hmm. undrafted in last year's draft. And he didn't do a ton this year. He was the wide receiver 72 on a points-per-game basis. But Gabriel Davis was on everybody's radar, and not everybody's, most people's radar as that guy who's going to take the next step next year. Because Mm -hmm. that offense looks appetizing. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen, of course, improved drastically as a passer between year two and year three. John Brown is gone. 
John Brown's gone. Stefan Diggs, of course, still there, but they needed a number two. Mm-hmm. And they don't use their tight ends very much. They don't use their running backs very much. So it seemed like this was a good situation for Gabriel Davis to shine, right? Mm-hmm. And it still could be. Um, however, they made some additions this offseason. And uh, I'm not talking about Matt Breida. <laughs> I'm not talking about Jacob Hollister, but they added uh, Emmanuel Sanders, which is kind of bad for Gabriel Davis. Emmanuel Sanders looked really good last year for the Saints. Mm-hmm. I-, I didn't think highly of him last year at all. I didn't draft Emmanuel Sanders last year. He just made me look like an ass, though, because he he looked really solid, and mm-hmm. he's the number two that they want and need in Buffalo. So Gabriel Davis now becomes number three. Four. That's you're forgetting about Wait. the Beasles. Oh, you're right. Oh, I did not mean the Beasles. <laughs> Disrespect. You are very correct there. And Beasles is so competent in the slot. Wasn't mm-hmm. he like number two overall in targets? Oh, he on was. That team he was last amazing year? last year. Yeah, he's. Yeah. He's like he, a top thirty receiver, I think. Yeah, he he was. Uh, I think like double digit points pretty much every week. Like he just had. He was again. He was uh, Jarvis Landry, just solid, solid floor every single week. That was essentially cost you nothing. Um, hopefully that continues because I, I love the Beasles. Agreed. But to, so to your point, now he's even further stuffed down the depth chart. Right. Number four, he can still have games where he flashes for you and that's going to be fine. Maybe a good uh, a risky. Option. Maybe a good best ball, like late round best ball dart throw. Yeah, sure. I, it's Somebody's still going to be going deep mm-hmm. for Josh Allen quite a bit. It can't always be Stefan Diggs. So Gabriel Davis can have some merit here, but you're right. (laughs) Consistency is going to be super frustrating. All right, let's do one more player each here, and then we'll wrap it up for an evening. All right, let's do it. All right. Um, I want to talk Harrison Bryant here a little bit. Cleveland tight end in that very muddled tight end room uh, with Austin Hooper and and Joku there. Uh, He was essentially free, drafted, 55th overall, if if you're going that late in your draft. Uh, finished in the points per game as tight end 45, which is actually not too bad for a rookie that we didn't expect to see a lot of playing time. Uh, and I know Austin Hooper took a little bit to get involved in that offense. Uh, but the fact that Harrison Bryant was as involved as he was as a rookie uh, really speaks volumes to his talent level. And I'm not sure I should have looked it up ahead of time um, what the out would be on Austin Hooper's contract. So he just signed that massive four-year contract uh, this last mm-hmm. offseason. So I'm sure he's here for this next season for sure. I don't think we see him going away. Uh, he might have an out after that, uh, which then Harrison Bryant could be a sneaky stash for your dynasty league um, and maybe even a somewhat you know, bi-week starter at this point, uh, just based on the usage he was getting last year. So um, he's someone I think, for redraft purposes, probably not high in your radar at all. But for Dynasty, I think you should try to stash him or get him cheap if you can. And if you have the ability to hold him on a taxi squad for a couple seasons, I think that could pay off in the long run for you. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. Uh, I just looked it up. Austin Hooper's out is probably 2023 because there's an 11 million dead cap in 2022. So they'll likely stay with him for two Mm -hmm. years. 
doesn't mean that they absolutely will. But also, you have to look at the other side of the coin, which is David and Joku. How long is he actually going to be sticking around there? They've never liked Njoku. Mm-hmm. Never. Which is a bummer because I like Njoku as a player. Everybody loves his athleticism. Oh, and all he's that. a freak athlete. Yeah. Yeah, but he can be gone easily after this year. And then, you know, you can run that two tight end set, which, of course, they they can and will in Cleveland there. And he can still have some utility even in 2022 uh, when he gets that shot. And let him grow. Mm -hmm. You say these tight ends, they need some time. So I like it. I have him stashed on a whole lot of places, and I will continue to stash him on a whole lot of places, hoping for that breakout to happen. Uh, The other one I'm interested in, purely from redraft. Obviously, if you get him cheap enough for Dynasty, do that too. But it's Miami running back, Salvan Ahmed, who flashed hard. We use that phrase Mm -hmm. flashed a lot. And what it means to me is just, look, you had X amount of opportunity. And with that, you exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. You didn't just go in there and, well, any running back will be fine here. Uh, No. Ahmed ran... And he was completely undrafted, lower down than James Robinson, way lower down this list than James Robinson. Ended up RB32 on a points-per-game basis. For an underperforming Miami Dolphins team, their backfield actually looked really good last year. Mm -hmm. It was weird. Miles Gaskin, of course, he's not a rookie, so we're not talking about him here, but he stepped in in a huge way. Similar to more similar to James Robinson, really. Um, but but I don't want to discount what Ahmed did. He only had four games as a starter, but in those games, he was so efficient and he didn't do it with touchdowns. I mean, he got a couple of touchdowns here, but really he was used in the passing game, which is great. So he was trusted for run blocking, um, which is great or pass protection. Excuse me. He was trusted for pass protection. But he also got plenty of work. He had 75 rushing attempts over those four starts for 319 yards. He was very good. Nobody, nobody is is putting any mind into the current Miami uh, Miami Dolphins backfield because everybody's waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. When are they going to bring in another quality running back here to take over? Well, they haven't in the offseason yet. They haven't done it with a free agent yet. There's really not many options for them to do it with now. So if they wait until the draft to do it, yeah, they can. They have plenty of picks to do it with. But if you see a guy maybe day two at the back end, starting into day three, and then they draft a running back, this could be a full-blown committee, and there could be some utility there with Ahmed. So I'm interested in picking him up in redraft, especially if they wait a while to add a running back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And our friend J. Mike here agrees with you 100% on that. Uh, says that's a fantastic call. Didn't have him on my radar, but certainly type that could really help your squad if given the chance. And I think that sums it up perfectly. If he's given the opportunity and they don't invest heavily in this draft, like you said, if it's not a day two pick, maybe a day three pick, uh, I think that gives him the inside track of really taking that backfield. And for the price you'd have to pay for him right now, uh, it, it's essentially free. I mean, I think you could get him so, so cheap uh, with the upcoming rookie draft. So uh, definitely a guy to keep on your radar that maybe you can get at a deep, deep discount that could end up being a starter 
Jamal Williams type. He's not going to be the guy, but he can be very competent, and people aren't going to be thinking about him. So I'm all over that kind of uh, running back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyone else here before we sign off, Jake? I I think we've Mm -hmm. hit them all pretty good. I think I think we've run this list into the ground in a good way, in a good way. But I also don't want to hide the announcement any longer. I'm so excited about the actual announcement that we teased at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. that I'm basically shaking over here. So, Dustin, I, let's do this. I can see it. So, yes, we are having a very special episode of DTFF here on Thursday, 3 o'clock, Central Standard Time. Uh, we will be going live. We are having Andy Holloway from the Footballers podcast coming to join us. We're, we're starting our divisional breakdown series uh, and bringing back the Homer's Corner that we had last year. Uh, so Andy is going to be joining us to talk a little bit about the NFC West and his team, the Arizona Cardinals. So we are very excited to have him on. Uh, so that, like I said, that's Thursday at three o'clock. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Set your watches right now. Put a reminder in your phone. Whatever you got to do. That's right. Just make it happen. Uh, It's going to be a great conversation. We're really excited to uh, have him on the show. So uh, any last final words here, Jake? No, I'm just so gee darn excited. (laughs) I think you all should be too. Yeah, I think it's a great way to kick off that series. Mm -hmm. Personally, that was my favorite thing that we did last year. Mm -hmm. We started these divisional breakdowns. We're going to be having more. Typically, we would just do one representative for the division last year. You know, somebody to represent their team. Now we're going to be having multiple people involved as well so that we should have some fun back and forth. Mm -hmm. Of course, Andy is going to be kicking it off with his own segment. We'll also be bringing on more representatives from their favorite teams. Interdivision rivalry is going to be happening on this podcast, and I'm very excited. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. So, Jake, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you out there? You can find me roaming Twitter at Jake Trowbridge. And you can find the podcast at Drinking Fantasy. Uh, slide into our DMs. Ask any questions. We're here for you. Um, so just do it. And you can find me at FF Dusty Dog. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football. Cheers, FFers. <laughs>